the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? And they answered, The emperor's. And then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As I mentioned last week, we're in a stretch of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is clashing with the religious authorities, and those clashes are getting more and more intense. He's in his final week in Jerusalem, and he's been using parables to expose the religious authorities' lack of faithfulness, their lack of justice, their lack of mercy. We heard one of those parables last week and the week before and the week before that. Beginning this week, the authorities kind of go on the counterattack and with thinly disguised hostility, they begin to try to trip Jesus up with insincere questions about hot-button issues like taxes, like the resurrection, like the great commandment. Today we begin these counterattacks with a confrontation over money and taxes, not unlike our election cycle as we're going through now. The historical context is helpful here, I think. It's helpful to remember that Jesus himself was a Roman subject. And he would have been a taxpayer. And he would have been subject to this particular tax that is being discussed this morning, the census tax or the head tax, which was a per capita tax on all men over 14 and on all women 14 to 65. I wasn't able to find why 65 was the magic number for women, but that's what I learned. It was an annual tax of one denarius, which was the wage, the average day's wage for a worker. And this tax dated from the year six, just a few years after Jesus was born. This tax had to be paid in Roman money as opposed to Jewish money, which was used to pay the temple tax. Roman money bore the image of Caesar, of the emperor. And at this time, when Jesus was having these confrontations with the religious authorities, the emperor was Tiberius. And so the inscription under the image of Tiberius would have been this. Tiberius Caesar... August, son of the divine Augustus, high priest. You probably know or remember that by this time, 
the emperor was considered a god. He was divine. And he also was the high priest of this Roman state religion. So on this piece of money was an idol. And for an observant Jew to even touch this money was practically right there just breaking the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image. Furthermore, the two groups named in this passage this morning make very strange bedfellows. The Herodians supported King Herod, who was a puppet king placed on the throne by the Romans in order to keep order. And so the Herodians' interest was to remain cozy with Rome, to make sure things didn't get out of hand. The Pharisees were the party of strict observance of Jewish law in everyday life. Their interest was to, main Jewish, to, was to maintain Jewish identity and Jewish law as, as closely as possible in the context of everyday life. As you can see, their aims were pretty much mutually exclusive. But on the theory that your enemy is my, if your enemy is my enemy, then we're friends, the Herodians and the Pharisees made common cause against Jesus because, as we know, his life and teaching threatened both of them. Their hope is to trap him with first with their hostile flattery and then to follow that up with a question. In this particular case, it's a question about this tax, this census tax. The question, is it lawful, meaning in this context, does Torah allow the paying of taxes to the emperor? Jesus is not fooled by their insincerity, and his response is brilliant. Give to the emperor what is the emperor, and to God what is God's. I have to say I prefer, I believe it's the King James Version, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And render unto God that which is God, that which is God's. I'm told that the Greek word for give here is actually better understood as to give back. So it's something that you've been given, you're giving back. Not something that's yours, but something that's been given to you, and you're giving it back to the rightful owner. So give back to the emperor that which belongs to the emperor. Give back that which belongs to God. If we're feeling a little bit humorous, we might imagine Jesus handing the coin back to his hostile interlocutors with kind of a shrug, like, this belongs to Caesar. It has his picture on it. You want to give it back to him, I think. Like an ID, maybe. Things that have Caesar's image on them belong to Caesar. In this case, it's a coin. Things that have God's image on them belong to God. So we might ask ourselves, well, what are those things that have God's image on them? And that, of course, would be you and me. Each of us created in the image of God, male and female, God created them. Now, 
This phrase, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and render unto God that which is God's, is not to be used as some simple dictum that can be used as a basis for the separation of church and state. It's been used that way in the past. That would have been utterly foreign in the context that Jesus spoke those words. There was no such thing as separation of church and state. In fact, they were the same. And woe to you if you tried to separate them. Nor is it permission to us to simply pay our taxes and then get back on with our other religious obligations, you know, as if they can be separated. Jesus is not going to give us a simple direction, but rather, like he so often does, he does something better and tougher. He raises a question. He raises a question. And he trusts us, made in the image of God as we are, to grapple with that question. He trusts that in that grappling, we will come to an answer that is unique to each one of us and an answer that is faithful, that is faithful to God's hopes for us and to God's expectations for us, but also that is faithful to our best selves, that self which we know to be in the image of God. The question is, What belongs to God and what belongs to Caesar? But even more deeply, the question is, what is it? What is it that God asks of us? What is it? Well, on the surface, it means we're supposed to give ourselves back to God. But what does that mean? It means we can't, first of all, avoid entanglement with Caesar, nor can we, nor should we. God, after all, became flesh and dwelt among us in the flesh and bone messiness of our world, governments and families and everything. And we have the divine image in us. But we are accountable to God for all that we do. And the question is, what does that look like? What does it look like to give ourselves back to God? What does it look like in our personal lives, in our interior prayer lives, in our spiritual lives, in that part that's in us that's that's just us, where we kind of talk to ourselves, or the various selves that are inside of us? What does it mean to give ourselves in that way back to God? What does it mean to give ourselves back to God in the context of our family lives, in the context of those webs of relationships that connect us to so many people, some we choose to be with and some that we don't? What does it mean to give ourselves back to God in the context of those relationships? What does it mean to give ourselves back to God in the wider range of relationships we have, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our governments? What does it mean to give ourselves back to God? And yes, what does it mean in our financial selves, those parts of us that own things, that have bank accounts, that have stocks and bonds, that are on limited incomes? What does it mean to give ourselves back to God? God trusts us to grapple with that knowing that we are made in God's image. 
God trusts us to grapple with that. But in the ultimate analysis, in the final analysis, only you, only I, know the answer to that question. And God trusts us to give an awesome answer, whatever that is. Amen.